<laughs> All right. Well, open your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter number 13. We're glad you're with us here in the building today. And if you're joining us online, we're, we're delighted that you have chosen to tune in and listen. I want to preach on the subject this morning, the winsome world, the winsome world, the appealing, the desire that the world creates in us. I don't know, I guess I was maybe 10 or 12. I grew up on a little farm out in the middle of nowhere and we had farm ponds and they were stocked with uh, bass and brim big perch and I had a little lure that man that thing was terrific uh, catching those big old brim it was called a popping bug I don't know if they still make them or not they still make those and and I'd take my rod and reel and I'd cast that little popping bug bug out there and it would float on top of the water and it had whiskers (laughs) and when you'd kind of just twitch it a little bit with your rod those whiskers would sweep back and it'd jump along across the top of the water. It looked just like a grasshopper swimming or something, an insect or something. And the, those perch loved that thing. Well, I showed, we had cousin, uh, some family visiting from out of state. And I had a cousin there. She was watching me fish. And when she saw me catch that first fish, she felt sorry for it. And uh, so when I unhooked the hook out of that fish's lip and put him on my stringer, I got ready to cast out again. She picked up a big rock and threw it in the water to scare those fish away so I wouldn't hurt them, catching them with a the hook. Never have like that girl from that day to this. If a pastor sees danger to the flock, and there are many warnings in the Bible, if, if, if the pastor sees a danger that might affect you, is it not his duty to throw a rock in the water and scare you away from that lure that has a hook in it. The devil has a way of luring you. And I want to throw a rock into the water today. Uh, the world that we, we're going to talk about today, the word world shows up in a number of places in the Bible. And the physical world that we see, we, we were in Colorado this last week, saw the Rocky Mountains, drove up, uh, most of the way up to the top of Mount Evans to uh, Summit Lake. And there was snow on the ground up there, and we got to play in the snow. Harrison got to get in a handful of Rocky Mountain snow, and he was having a blast. He had a big grin on his face. He was just enjoying that. And, uh, and, and the air was so cool and refreshing. And we saw mountains, and, and we went up over Guanella Pass, and where we usually see some really vivid fall colors, those white-barked aspen trees have the yellow leaves in the fall. Uh, they weren't turning as much this year. We were there a little bit too early for them this year, but uh, we've got pictures in the past where those beautiful golden leaves are just shimmering in the sunlight, beautiful mountainsides in the dark green evergreens in the background, bluffs that are hundreds and hundreds of feet high, and uh, some of which Aaron tried to run the car off of while we were going up Mount Evans. <laughs> when you get old, you don't want to ride with a young man. I used to do that. Now I'm sorry for all the people I scared in the past. <laughs> um, beautiful. I, I won a trip uh, back years ago when I was selling insurance. I won a trip to Hawaii, and my wife and I, and we, uh, we drove over the island to see the beauty, and, and there's a place, the Punch Bowl, and some other uh, 
volcanic mountains there you can climb up on top of and look down on the, uh, the beaches and the shores, the shimmering water, such vivid colors of green and blue and yellow, just, and it was fresh because you could see what was on the bottom through that clear water. You can see all the way to the bottom to the sand on the bottom of the ocean. It's just beautiful. And uh, I've been able to see a lot of beautiful things. So when the, when the Bible's talking about the world and the lure of the world, it's not really talking about this physical world. We know that God made, he made the earth. He made the moon and the planets, the solar system. He made the stars that are a gazillion light years out there. He made all that. And so it's beautiful to look upon. And so when we're talking about the allurement of the world, we're not talking about the physical world that's such a danger. It's beautiful to look upon. Even Jesus said in Luke 12, 27, he said, consider the lilies, how they grow. You ever see some pretty flowers? Just, they're just beautiful to look upon. And so Jesus was okay. He used the grapevines to teach object lessons and, and, and wheat fields, barley fields. Uh, so there's nothing really uh, detrimental about this physical world. We love to look upon the beauty of it, don't we? Ever see a waterfall? Man, just beautiful to look upon the waterfall. But there's another sense of the word world that's used in the Bible, and it's, it's talking about all the people around the, this planet. And when it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he's not talking about the cascading waterfalls, nor the ocean, nor the mountains. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world, he's not talking about the planet, but the people on the planet. And that's a way that the word world is used. But the word world also has a sinister meaning, and that's what we're going to try to focus on for a while today. <clears throat> In 1 John 2.15, uh, I'll just read that to you. The Bible warns us, says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. In 1 John 2.15, love not the world. Well, we already said that nothing wrong with the physical planet and the beauties of it. Although it is disfigured, our planet is disfigured. When God first made it and put man and, and, and woman in the Garden of Eden, it was a perfect place. And so the judgment of the great flood... <clears throat> left scars on the face of the planet, and it is, has been under judgment. But there's still, since God made everything, His goodness, and even man, He created in His own image, and even though we are part of a fallen world, we bear some of the image of God still yet. We're a tripart being. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we are what? We are a body, soul, and a spirit. So we have that. And we have a love to communicate. God has that. So we have some characteristics of God left on us from that fallen world. Or from that, I should say, from that perfect world that man fell from. But when the Bible says, love not the things that are in the world, it's not talking about all those beautiful things. It's talking about this world system. There is a system that's set up. The way things operate an order, a secular system of thinking and doing. And there's always been the pride of life, lust of the flesh, 
And what else? There's three. Love not the world, the pride of the flesh, the eyes, the world. Love not the world. So there is a secular system of thinking that tries to draw us away from God. The devil doesn't care if you say you love God just as long as you don't act like it. And as long as you, as long as you tie in with the world system. There is a world system of politics, business, social affairs, culture. And all of that is designed by Satan to allure us from God. And we'll see a little bit more about that. It's all centered on man's carnal desires. So I want to throw a rock into the water as I preach on this winsome world. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us today as we think about the things that would draw us from you. Lord, as we think about the revival coming up next week and our anniversary Sunday, we pray that you'd just help us, Lord, to rededicate our lives today to loving you and being committed to you. And Lord, to relinquish our attachment to the world. I pray that you'd bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's there's some things about the world. We've, we've said there's some physical beauty and things like that. But then there, there is this world system, and it has a ruler. This world system that is secular. This world system that goes away from God, that wants you to think of anything but God. It has a ruler. And in John 12, 31, listen to this. In John 12, 31, he's called the prince of this world. There is a prince of this world. Now, God is overall, but he, since the fall of Satan from heaven, he's allowed Satan a certain freedom. Now, God could squash him like a bug, and he will eventually. But right now, there is a ruler of this world, this world system, the secular world system, this system that wants nothing to do with God. And that ruler is the devil. This world also, besides having a prince, it has a viewpoint, a philosophy, and there's an enticing network of ideas in this world. And there's all kinds of philosophies, there's all kinds of religions, and there's all kinds of worldviews, and, and there's all kinds of ideas about what life ought to be. And this world has a viewpoint. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 12, it speaks of the spirit of this world. That's not the spirit of God. The spirit of God is definitely available to be surrendered to, but there is a spirit of this world, and that's the spirit that wants to keep you from God. In 1 Corinthians 3.19, it speaks about the wisdom of this world as opposed to the wisdom of God. And so there is a wisdom of this world, and it tries to make things sound logical to you that would be totally in disagreement with God. And so there is a, a wisdom of this world. And there's a passion of this world. In 1 Corinthians 7, 31, there's things that people are very passionate about that would be totally against God. And this world not only has a prince and a philosophy, this world also has a commitment, a purpose, what this world wants to do and accomplish. And it's totally opposite of that of God. Jesus said in John Five eight uh, fifteen eighteen. He said, "If the world hate you, know you know that it hated me before it hated you." Can you imagine anybody hating Jesus? Can you imagine that? The one who left heaven 
to come and live on earth in a human body, the one that had the glory of eternity past with the Father on the throne, left that, took on a human body and suffered the things that you and I suffer and much, much more as he died for our sins. A Jesus who would do all that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Jesus who came to die a painful, agonizing death is the very Jesus that so many people hate today. Although there are people that will tell you that they love Jesus, but some of those people who say that don't mean it. They hate the Jesus of the Bible. They like the Jesus they've made up in their mind. But the only Jesus that we can know about is the Jesus of the Bible. There's no way that we can conceive in our mind. He says that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And there's no way we can conceive of an accurate Jesus, an image of Jesus in our head. And that's why he showed us in the Bible exactly who Jesus is. And the way you know Jesus is by studying the Bible. The world system hates Jesus. And Jesus said, because they hated me, they're going to hate you. If you claim Jesus as your Savior and you live for him, they're going to hate you. They're going to hate you because your lifestyle brings conviction to them, because your lifestyle is so different from them, because your lifestyle seems so boring and dull to them, and because your lifestyle is totally different than they have conceived in their mind of what life ought to be. They think as a Christian you can't have any fun. I've had more fun since I've been saved over 40 years than I ever had before and I don't wake up with a hangover now. If, if any, any Christian is a friend of the world, he becomes and makes himself an enemy of Jesus. In James 4.4 4, he says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, Know ye not that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So can you see the, can you see the two sides of this? You, you can be a friend of the world if you want to. He'll give you the free will, the freedom to do that. You can be a friend of the world, but you can't be his friend at the same time. Nobody can hold hands with the devil and hold hands with Jesus at the same time. And the world has its ways. And, and if you're a, a friend of Jesus, the world is not going to like you. Somehow, when I first got saved, I was green as a gourd. I didn't know anything about Christianity. <clears throat> when I got saved, I thought everybody's going to be happy about this. <laughs> everybody's going to love me now. <laughs> and I began to talk to people about Jesus. And I could tell, man, they treating me like I had leprosy. <laughs> They'll push you away. A lot of them will. The system of this world. Well, the world has a people. There's children of this world. The children of this world, Luke 16, 8, says the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Now, here is a warning signal. The Bible categorically states that those who are children of this world, this world system that opposes God, are wiser in their generation than the children of light. How could that be? Well, we're doing, we Christians are doing a poor job of changing the world and a poor job of reaching the world. And the, the world system is so cunning, so divisive, 
and so appealing? Does, do we not remember where the Bible says something about the pleasures of sin for a season? So sin has pleasure. And so what I'm trying to say is like that lure in the water that attracts the fish, the devil has some hooks in the water where he wants to catch the Christian. He can say, maybe you got saved and maybe, you, maybe I can't get your soul now. Maybe you're going to be saved forever, but I can make your life miserable and I can wipe out your testimony and I can wipe out your influence for Christ. <laughs> and though he can't get your soul, he can make you ineffective and miserable. Well, I said all that just to say that there is an enemy. And that enemy is pretty winsome. Winsome means that, have you ever been around somebody that just, they got such a pleasant personality, you're just attracted to them? Somebody's just pleasant, they're nice, and you just feel close to them? You say, I really like that guy. The world has a winsome personality. And the world that is opposed to God will try to lure the Christian to itself to keep you from God. Now, I said all that to bring us down to our text in Genesis. And we'll see how the world defiled Lot. Genesis chapter 13 and verse number 5. Genesis 13 and verse number 5. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled in the, uh, then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, now remember, they're having strife. They've each got their herds and their servants. There's a strife. And verse 8 says, And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot, now watch this in verse number 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. And uh, before, the, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. And Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. Well, what happened here? Here's a guy, here's Lot. Now the Bible does say in, in 2 Peter, it says that, that Lot, when he went to Sodom and Gomorrah, it says that he was called just Lot. Just, meaning justified. And then it says that he had a righteous soul. So that wouldn't be said of somebody who was lost and, and totally away from God, it could be said of a believer. He was just. And so what's the warning there? That whatever happened to Lot as a believer can happen to you and to me. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're immune from the attacks of Satan and the allurement of the world. How did the world 
get a hold of Lot in the first place. He's walking with Abram. They come into the land of Canaan where they're supposed to live for God and worship God. But now here they are, they're having strife and Abram being a very generous and nice guy. Abram says to Lot, he said, now you look over that way and if you see anything you like, well, you just take that land and I'll go that way. Or if you see something you like over here, you go that way and I'll go that way. Very generous. He was not, Abram was not a self-centered person. He's willing to give Lot either way. But what happens, Lot looks over there and he sees all that tall green grass for his herds. He sees this big sprawling valleys and hills where he can become more enriched. And so even though Lot had been justified by God, he was a believer. And yet, listen friend, this is where it comes in. For you and me. He became mesmerized by the world. Do you know? Well, let me let me read it in in 1 Timothy 6:10. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Now it doesn't say money is evil, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. We all have to have money. You gotta pay your light bill, right? You gotta buy some transportation and some clothes and housing. So money itself is not evil, but the love of money, being attached to it. That's what the world says. Come on, come on. Send your kids to the university where they can get the best education and they can just work hard, give all their life to their career and they can advance in the career and they can become wealthy. (laughs) Well, having money is not a bad thing unless you become mesmerized by it and you're willing to choose the world over the things of God. That's what Lot did. He was mesmerized. I dare say that there's probably sitting here or online under the sound of my voice people who are mesmerized right now by the things of the world. And you know what's sad about it? Is they don't know. When somebody gets hypnotized, they don't know they're hypnotized. They act according to the instructions that's given them. And that's why I wouldn't have anything to do with hypnotic trances. Because I want to be in full control of my faculties under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, not zoned out where the devil could influence me. But Lot became mesmerized. And when people become mesmerized, then job becomes everything, career becomes everything, getting things become everything, having the things of the world that the world says, this is fun. If you, instead of going to church, if you'll get you a four-wheeler and head to the mountains on Sunday... You'll have more fun than you will going there with those stuffy, stiff-collared Christians. And if you'll spend your money on your hobbies to the exclusion of giving to the Lord's work, you'll have more fun. You'll have more money. More money, more fun. That's what the world says. This is what Lot began to say in his mind. Man, Look what I could have over yonder where the grass is tall and green. My, my, my herds will grow and I can sell more sheep and goats and my servants will multiply and I'll be great. <laughs> A lot of people put greatness in front of godliness. Did you hear what I just said? Some people put greatness in front of godliness. Do you know that 100 years from now, nobody's going to care how great you were? <laughs> hundred years from now, nobody's going to care how much money you had in the bank. 
If you sacrificed godliness in order to get gain, you failed to stay separate from the world. So Lot was mesmerized by the world. And ladies and gentlemen, I would say that lure in the water that catches the brim is the same kind of lure that Satan uses to lure you away from the things of God, out of church, out of service, out of your prayer, out of your Bible reading, out of raising your children for God. And he leads you from that so you can have fun somewhere else. Well, what else happened to Lot besides being mesmerized? The world shaped Lot. The world shaped him. In Romans 12, 2, the Bible says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Be not conformed to what? This world. This world has a culture that wants to lure you into it. This world says that you can be a man if you're a woman, or if you're a woman, you can be a man, or you can just be at anything. You can marry a cat if you want to, or a tree. <laughs> this world is beginning to lure a lot of people into its trap by saying, well, you can just choose your gender. No. God created male and female, and there ain't no more. <laughs> well, what happened to Lot? He got shaped by the culture around him, and yet the Bible says we ought not. He, he got, Lot got trapped. First of all, it says, did you notice where he read in our text? It says that he looked towards the well-watered plain of Jordan. He looked. You know where we... Our first step of messing up and being attracted to the world. Listen, young people, when the world says you have to dress naked in order to attract boys, they're not attracted to you as a girl or a woman. They're attracted to your body to satisfy their lust. And yet, the world says you've got to dress that way or you're just not part of the cool crowd. You've got to, you've got to smoke a little dope. You've got to drink a little beer. You've got to just you know, fit in. And when you begin to look, that's why the Bible says in Proverbs, look not upon the wine when he gives his color in the cup. Look not on the wine. Why not look at it? What's wrong with looking at it? Because you'll be attracted to it. The world knows, you know, when I threw that lure in the pond water and give it that little twitch, that jitterbug, squirrel tail would jitter and squirm in the water. That fish first looks he says, aha, uh -huh, that's a bug. And I'll get it. Whoosh. <laughs> and then he's hooked. The looking is where it begins. And then when he looked, when, when Lot looked, he began to be making a decision. Maybe he said to his wife, you know, we ought to just, <laughs> we ought to think about moving over there a little closer to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not our kind of place, but we could move over a little bit closer. It'd be okay if we get close, <laughs> just not in it. And so they move over a little closer. Then maybe one Sunday they say, well, let's, honey, let's take a little drive over to Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, let's just see what it's like for ourselves. And let's go over and we can go to the shopping malls and we'll see what's going on. Maybe go drop in a club or two and uh, we'll just drive over and then come back home. And they drive over and she says, look, honey, that house is for sale. What if we just moved over here? The look, 
the decision to get closer, and then finally the wrong direction that made them end up in the world. Do you know that even Lot even became a solid citizen of Sodom and Gomorrah? And listen, friends, Sodom and Gomorrah was one of the, one of the very, very most hateful places that God detested. I mean, why would he destroy it? In Genesis chapter number 18, he rained fire and brimstone down on it and destroyed the whole place. Sodom and Gomorrah burned up. (laughs) Strange now that in the schools we celebrate that which God hates. And so they were deceived. They thought, we can live over there. We can associate, we can join this club or we can join this educational system or we can take that job or... We can have these folks as our close friends, and it won't hurt us. It won't hurt us. That's what Lot said. Lot said it won't hurt us. But then he became, it says that he sat in the gate of Sodom. Hey, he was one of the decision makers. He was, one of, he was on the city council. He sat in the gate of Sodom. Not only did he decide to live there, he wanted to join in with them and be part of their system. So how did all of this turn out? Well, it bankrupted Lot. He lost his walk with God. He had been with Abram. And when he was with Abram, they had, uh, they had built altars. and They worshipped the true God. And they had a walk with God. They, they understood God and they communicated with God. They knew how to pray. And they got God's word and God's direction. But then when Lot moved off down to Sodom and Gomorrah, he lost his walk and his worship. Of God. Abram's still up there building altars and worshiping God, but not a lot. You see, when, when the Christian decides to join up with Sodom and Gomorrah, when the Christian decides to link up with the world and give in to the world's demands that you be like them, you look like them, you smell like them, you talk like them. I don't even like the world's vocabulary. People think I'm a little bit old fashioned. But I just think Christian cussing is wrong. (laughs) And I just think that some of the vulgarity that we, I say we Christians, I'm talking about Christianity as a whole, tries to talk like the world because if we're cool, we'll fit in. God never told us to be cool and fit in. He said, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and I will receive you unto myself. Come out from among them. The world bankrupted Lot. He lost his walk. He lost his witness. Remember, if we were to go over and look at the account of when God actually destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he's trying to lead Lot out of the city. The angels are trying to lead Lot and his family out of the city and warn them that they're about to be caught in the, in the world's snare and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And when, and when Lot began to tell his family, hey, we need to get out of here, they laughed at him. See, when we begin to side with the world against the things of God, we make a decision. Well, yeah, I believe God, but I'm going to live over here. I'm going to live over here in Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm going to talk like them, look like them, smell like them. And then when we begin to try to teach our children, they'll say, huh, you think I believe that? I've seen what you've done, mom and dad. And what we do in moderation, ladies and gentlemen, what we do in moderation, our children will do in excess. That's the general rule. 
they will go further even than we did. So they wouldn't listen to Lot when, when he was told this place is going to be destroyed. They wouldn't even listen to him. He lost his wealth. He ended up losing it all. He lost everything. He lost his wealth. Lost his influence. He hadn't got any money anymore. He had, he's not on the city council anymore because that city's wiped out. God snuffed it out. And so he lost everything. He lost his family. Ends up living in a cave in fornication with his own daughters. What a horrible thing to happen. How did it all begin? He looked towards Sodom and Gomorrah and said, you know, that's not so bad. Is there anything wrong with hobbies? Not until they begin to lure us away from God. Is there anything wrong with a high-paying job? No. Unless it lures you away from church and God. Is there anything wrong with sports? No, not unless it becomes your obsession where you will sacrifice the things of God in order to participate. I'm surprised more and more and more. <coughs> Used to, when in towns like this, everybody knew church happened on Wednesday night, same as it did on Sunday. And so they began to encroach upon the Wednesdays and having Little League play on Wednesday. I mean, after all, you can go to church anytime. Just a little look over towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And it wasn't long then that they not only captured Wednesday and Sunday. We passed some on the way just a couple of days ago. A lot of kids out there playing sports, organized sports, on Sunday morning. We were headed for church in Denver Sunday morning and passing those sport fields full of boys and girls and their parents. And they chose the world over the things of God. Do you think they set out to do that? Or was they, were they deceived by that lure in the water little by little until they were snagged in Sodom and Gomorrah? You see, we gain a testimony, a witness, and things when we live for God. But when we begin to choose the world over things, or over God, choose the world over the things of God, slowly we're drawn into the world and we lose it all, lose our testimony, lose our worship, lose our walk with God. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you'd bless us today as we think about these things that happen to Lot and those same things can happen to us and they can seem ever so innocent but if it pulls us away from you, Lord, we know it's not a good thing. It's a lure in the water to try to get us to bite. It's a look towards Sodom and Gomorrah that allures us in the wrong direction until we finally sit in the gate. I pray that you'd help us to make decisions to be renewed in our spirit, even this morning, that when the revival starts next week, we can honestly say, Lord, draw me closer to you. I want to be closer to you. I've let some things slip, Lord. Now I need to be drawn closer.